All right, everybody. Good morning. Go ahead and settle down now. Settle down. Grab a seat. So good to see you all here. We are going with the hardwired mic here because of some technical difficulties. So I feel very punk rock right now, ready to go. Glad you're here. Just want to say welcome. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, just want to say I'm glad you're here, especially if you're new. I know it's not always easy to go somewhere new or that you're unfamiliar with, especially at church sometimes. And so uh, glad you have joined us this morning. Uh, as we get started, I want to uh, pray together as we prepare to uh, jump into God's Word. So would you pray with me? God, we love you, and we are so grateful to be here this morning, gathered as a church family, to sing to you and to pray to you, and Lord, to open up your word together. God, we thank you for how good you are and your faithfulness to us. And God, we pray that you would guide our time now as we open your word, as we try to understand what it says and apply it to our lives. God, would you encourage us and strengthen us and be with us for this task. We love you and thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, I want to invite you to open up your Bible to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1 verse 6 is where we're going to be starting this morning. We're wrapping up our month-long study we've called Go Month, where we're looking at our fourth core commitment as a church, which is to go and engage the needs of the world with the gospel. It's a reminder that we exist not just for ourselves here in this building, but we exist to be a blessing to the world, both locally and globally. So we got one more week of talking about that specifically, and then next week we're starting a new study in the book of First Peter. So I'm really excited to jump into that book. We're just going to go from uh, start to finish in First Peter. It's going to take a few months. I'm really looking forward to studying it with you. So if you have time uh, between now and next week, give First Peter a read. Not right now, because we're in Acts. But when you go home sometime this week, read the book of First Peter, just to kind of get familiar with it. And we're going to see what God has to say to us through it. But today... We're wrapping up Go Month, and as I was preparing for this morning, I came across a recent research study done by the Barna Group that found that 47% of Christians who are millennials, that's ages 20 to 34, 47% of Christian millennials think that it is wrong to evangelize. They said it's wrong to share their faith with someone of another faith uh, in hopes that the other person becomes a Christian. 47%, nearly half of millennials said it's wrong to evangelize. Now, before you just get on us young people about that, the same study found that one out of three Christians uh, ages 35 to 53 also said that it's wrong to share your faith with someone in hopes that they too would become a Christian. So one out of three Christians ages 35 to 53. Now, uh, I thought those numbers were kind of striking. They were pretty high. And even if you hear that and you're like, ah, it's just one study, it's just one set of research, one small group of people who were asked, how much does it really tell us? I don't know for sure, but it tells us something 
It tells us that an increasing number of people are uncomfortable with the idea of sharing their faith and, and spreading the gospel. Because even uh, with those numbers, we could probably add a large number of people who wouldn't outright say that evangelism is wrong, but there's still this internal tension that comes with it. Or maybe it still like feels wrong or out of place or out of line with uh, the current values of our culture, right? Culture says, do what makes you happy. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And so believe what you want to believe, but more or less keep it to yourself. And so follow Jesus. That's cool. But just, again, do it on your own. Don't tell me about it, right? That's kind of where our, our culture is at. And so we've been considering all month long the idea to go and engage the needs of the world with the gospel. And we talked about our ministry in Togo, Africa, and sponsoring children there through Compassion International, and just want to celebrate and, and shout out to you all that we sponsored. I think it's 73, 74 now, 75 kids uh, have been sponsored from that village by people in this church, which is amazing. It was so cool to see how you all responded, how God was at work here. I mean, that was way above the goal that we set. So 75 uh, children and their families' lives have now been changed because of your generosity. It's incredible. But here's the deal. Most people hear that, and they'll hear about our work in Togo and Compassion's ministry, and they're like, that sounds good, right? Like, even if you're not a Christian, you'd say, hey, that sounds like good stuff, helping people get out of poverty, feeding kids, providing education, health care, uh, support, mentoring, job skills. That's good stuff. You, you, know, not, you don't have to be a Christian to say, hey, that's positive. Um, or if you were to say, hey, part of our call as Christians is to go and engage the needs of the world with the gospel through a sacrificial love, through generosity, loving our neighbors, going above and beyond to help people. Again, you don't have to be a Christian to hear that and say, yeah, that's a good thing. That's, that's a good ethic to live by. I can, I can support that. But when we start to talk about making disciples and evangelism and sharing the gospel, that's where it starts to get a little uncomfortable for some of us. We say, oh, I'm not so sure I'm okay with that, or that feels wrong, like the study showed us. And so, today we're going to talk about, from Acts chapter 1, uh, is that really part of what we're supposed to do as believers? And if so, how should we go about it? So, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, let's read the text together. I shall read it out loud for us. Acts 1, starting in verse 6. It says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. This is Jesus speaking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So let's start with a bit of context for what we just read here in Acts chapter 1. It's picking up after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and before he ascends to the Father again, he has some time with his disciples, and he's kind of coaching them. And you see the question that they have for him in verse 6. You notice what they ask? They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And so they're saying... Jesus, is this the time? Is now the time that you're going to set up the kingdom and get rid of the bad guys 
and establish your rule and reign throughout all the earth for your glory and the good of all people, bringing peace and justice so we can live happily ever after. I mean, this is the spiritual Jewish equivalent of, are we there yet? <laughs> Jesus, are we there yet? Have we gotten to the end of the story? Can we just get on to eternity here? Because remember, the, the people of Israel were waiting for a Messiah a savior, a king to come and rule and establish the kingdom of God and deal with the bad guys and the evil and injustice in the world and establish God's reign of peace and hope and joy for all people. And so now Jesus, he died, but he came back to life. God brought him back from the dead. And so now they're saying, Jesus, Jesus is the guy. He's, he's the Messiah. He's been vindicated through his resurrection. He is the king that we are to follow. So let's, let's do this thing. Let's wrap this deal up. Here we go, on to eternity. But that's not what Jesus says is going to happen, right? Look at verse 7. He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Essentially, don't worry about that, guys. You're asking the wrong question. The exact timing, the dates the Father has set for the end of history. Don't worry about that. So no. Disciples, no, it's not time to wrap things up just yet. In fact, I have a job for you. I have a mission for you. He says in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Many people see this verse as kind of the theme of the whole book of Acts and maybe even the New Testament, that the gospel of Jesus Christ moves out and advances and spreads throughout the known world, even to the ends of the earth. He sends out his disciples as witnesses. And that word's really important, to be a witness. It's picking up on an Old Testament theme. A witness was someone who speaks or who tells of something that they have experienced, something they have seen, and they tell other people about it. That's what a witness does. And if you think of, in our culture, kind of where the word witness comes up, it's usually in like a lawyer movie, like a few good men. You call a witness to the stand and the witness takes the stand, and they're what? They're, they're asked a number of questions. And they tell, yeah, here, here's what I saw. Here's what I experienced. Here's what happened. And they're not responsible for the results or the outcome necessarily. Their job is just to share. Here's what I saw. Here's what happened. Here's what I have experienced. And so that concept that comes into our minds from modern court stuff is actually fairly appropriate to biblically how the word would function. A witness was someone who would give their testimony to share. Here's what I saw. Here is what happened. And so Jesus is essentially saying to his followers and by extension to us sitting here today, you have a job to do. And that job is to tell other people about me. So I'm leaving you here to take the witness stand, as it were, and through your words and through how you live, I want you to point other people to me. Now, sometimes when we talk about this, one thing that we lose sight of is the bigger story that God is telling and how this fits into that. So sometimes when we talk about evangelism or sharing our faith, we say, well, why should we do that? And it's like, well, Jesus told us to do that. 
You know, Matthew 28, go make disciples, or Acts chapter 1, 8, you will be my witnesses. And so there it is, just go do it. And that's true. Jesus did tell us to do it. And so we should go and do it. But there's a bigger story here that I think can help us embrace that call. I think about it, if you're told what to do by maybe your parents, by someone in authority, a boss of yours, you should do it, right? And sometimes your parents, if you ask them why, they say, just do it, because I said so, right? Don't, don't ask me why, just, I want you to do it, and we, we should do that. But, you know, if someone tells you uh, the reasoning behind why you're doing what you're doing, usually it's a little easier to get behind it. Usually it's a little easier to buy in. Usually helps out a little bit to know the bigger picture. And so Jesus doesn't leave us with just a command. That's not all the disciples were going off of. Was, well, Jesus said to do it, so we should do it. They also had an understanding of the bigger story that God is telling and how they fit into it. Because look at the question that's starting this whole conversation is, Jesus, is it, is it time? We're going to establish the kingdom? Head off into eternity? Get rid of the bad guys? Is it all wrapping up right now? And he says, no. This, this isn't the end of the story. Actually, there's another chapter in the story. And you are going to live it out. And so I think the same thing can be helpful for us today, that if, if we know the story that we're living in, if we know the story of God that we're a part of, it's going to help us want to share the gospel rather than just some kind of arbitrary add-on to our faith. That, oh, by the way, Jesus says go tell people about him. No, there's a, a bigger story going on here. So do we know the story of the Bible? Do we know the story that God is telling the story of his good world that he created that then turned sideways because of our sin and rebellion and us running away from God and wanting to do things our own way. And because of our sin and rebellion, it's brought destruction and chaos and havoc into our world. I mean, it doesn't take long to look around and read the news and see just the horrible things taking place around the world, injustice and pain and murder and brokenness and abuse. Those could go on and on. As we see that God needed to rescue us. We needed to be rescued. And so God sent his son Jesus to provide forgiveness of sins, to cleanse us and purify us and reconcile us back to God. I mean, that's the heart of the gospel, forgiveness of sins, reconciled relationship with the God who loves us. But the story doesn't stop there. And sometimes that's what we do. Right? Once, once we get in, we get into the family of God, and then the story stops. It's like, hey, you punched your ticket to heaven, so go help other people punch their ticket to heaven. That's all you got to do. But the story's bigger than that. Because the gospel is good news, yes, of course, for us in eternity, to have a relationship with God and eternal life forever, but it begins now as well, where we have this new life, the Holy Spirit's presence in us, a transformed heart. And the call now to go and love people in Jesus' name and to help this world that God created look more and more like he wants it to look. And so we have this call now not just to be reconciled to God, but to go and make him known and live in his ways and call other people to follow him as well. So God is restoring his good world. He's called us to be a part of it. And so rather then evangelism or the call to go and be a witness to Jesus being some optional kind of add-on, disconnected from the rest. By the way, you should do this as well. 
the first disciples would see this as foundational to why they existed in the first place. This is who we are, a people on mission, living out the purposes and plans of God in the world. That's why we're here. Not just to sit around and wait for eternity. And so, at some point, I think someone could, could hear this and still say, okay, preacher man, I see that Jesus told his disciples to go make more disciples, to be witnesses to him, to go tell other people about him. The Bible says that, but I don't like it. I don't like that the Bible says that. Maybe you're here, you're not a Christian this morning, and that comes off as, as like arrogant or condescending or imperialistic, and it's just not something that I think is good for the world. Uh, two things I think we could talk about in, in light of that. One of those would be to say that sometimes that reaction a number of us probably have or have had at some point or another is because we've seen evangelism done poorly. Or we've experienced it done poorly in our lives. Maybe you felt someone try to uh, manipulate you or control you or coerce you or just be really aggressive with you to get you to respond or think the way that they do. And that doesn't sit right with you, right? You, you hear evangelism, you think of like a, a greasy used car salesman. There's this interaction and you're like, I just don't want any part of that. And like after I talk with them, I have to go take a shower. It's just not, it's just everything's wrong with it. It's high pressure. They're just trying to win an argument. They're aggressive. They're, they're rude or harsh with me. And so you're like, I, I don't want to be a part of that. People shouldn't be doing that. I had one of these experiences this week, actually. Someone came to our home and was selling some third party energy gas thing. I don't know, maybe someone came to your house if you live in the Southampton area, knocking on doors, and it was terrible. <laughs> terrible. I hated the whole experience. I just got home from work, wanted to hang out with Amber, see her daughter, enjoy some family time, and this guy knocks on the door, and he's talking on and on, and he's, he's condescending. He's unclear. He's hard to understand. I don't know exactly what he wants, but it's kind of this pressured situation. I just want him to leave. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to go and do my thing, but he's there. And it was terrible. Maybe you've experienced that as well. You're like, I don't want any part of it. And so when we hear about evangelism or being a witness, we think that that's what it's about. But I don't think that that's the picture that Scripture gives us of what it is like to be a witness to Jesus. Because think about what it means to be a witness. It's our job to share. Yes, our job to speak of what we have seen and what we have experienced in Christ. To share the message of Jesus, of course. But as a witness, we do it with love and respect. And we realize the freedom that their response is not up to us. And so there's no high pressure. It's on you to, to manipulate them, to close the deal. No, that's not what it's about. You present the message and it's up to that person and the Lord then how they will respond and how God will use it in their lives. And usually this is done best in the context of relationships. Right? It's not that God doesn't use interactions with strangers or at the barber or on an airplane. God, of course, can use those situations. We should be ready for those opportunities. But often it's with friends and family people that we know where our lives are visible and seen and we can share with them the love of Jesus both in our words but then also over time and how we love them. 
Right? And what do you do with, with your friends and your family? You, you talk about things you love, don't you? You talk about the new restaurants you go to, talk about the new series on Netflix that you binge watched, right? The things that you enjoy, you just open up and share those things with people that you love. That's what friends do. And so as Christians, we're called to be good neighbors, be friends, be good family members, love people. And as we do that, naturally, we're going to share the things that we love with them. We're going to talk about Jesus because he's an important part of our life. He's the center of our life. So why wouldn't that just come up in conversation in the same way that other things that we care about do as well? And when we do it that way, it shows people that you're not a project. I love you. And whether or not you respond to the message of the gospel, I'm called to love you and be a good neighbor to you. And I want good things for you. So, you know, I'm here. I'm a part of your life. I'm going to be around whether or not you respond to this in the way that I hope you do. And so evangelism, the call to be a witness to Jesus, is, is not driven by just wanting to win an argument. It's driven by love, wanting good for people. Because we believe that the best possible thing that can happen to someone is that they can come to know Jesus and have their heart transformed by him and experience eternal life with him both now and forever. Now, if you hear that and you're like, okay, I guess that sounds maybe a little bit better than before, but still, I don't like it. It sounds maybe arrogant to think that you are right and that other people are wrong and that other people need to think the way that you do. If that's, if that's maybe where you're coming from this morning, can we just admit together that Everyone thinks they are right. Like, seriously, everyone thinks they're right. That's the reason you view the world the way you do, is because you think you're right. And so sometimes we buy into this narrative that, like, Christians are really narrow and uh, negative and arrogant, but then everybody else is open-minded. But that's, that's not true. We, we all think we're right, whether you're an atheist or agnostic or, or Buddhist or... Muslim or Hindu or uh, Christian, whatever, you, you think you're right. And that's why you view the world the way that you do, right? And so it's not arrogant to have, have an opinion or to have a conviction and to, to talk about that with other people. Tim Keller put it this way. He said, tolerance, which is a high value in our culture, tolerance isn't about not having beliefs, it's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. Right? It's not wrong to have beliefs or have convictions. But tolerance is about how do you treat people who disagree with you? How do you treat people who think that you're crazy for believing in Jesus? How do you treat people who don't want to hear anything about Jesus? Will you respond with, with bitterness, be condescending, cut them down, small jabs at them online constantly? Will you love them? Extend grace to them and kindness and mercy and compassion and love, even if they disagree with you. And so it's not wrong, friends, to have convictions. Not to mention the irony that if anyone says, hey, I don't think you should share your beliefs, that person, in saying that, is sharing their beliefs. And so there's an irony there that it's not wrong to spread our beliefs and convictions and talk about them. That's just what people do. So we should be okay with that, especially in Jesus' name to do so with great love and compassion and care. Now, we're called to go, Acts 1-8, to be witnesses to Jesus in the world to the ends of the earth. 
But there's a key to this text that I don't want us to miss. And that's the fact that we don't go alone. Okay, do you see that in the text? Verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, here's the mission. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the surrounding areas, and even to the ends of the earth. Take the whole gospel to the whole world. Ready, go. But he says, as you do that, you are not going alone. And sometimes we, we hear that call and we're like, that's overwhelming. That's a big task. And I'm not equipped for that task. Have you ever had a project to do? And you didn't have the right tools or equipment to do it? Maybe around the house, you had to fix something. You had to build something. You didn't have the right screwdriver or the right wrench or the right size, whatever. You can tell I'm not super handy. And so, uh, like, I go to Home Depot, and they're like, sir, are you lost? Are you sure you're supposed to be here? Um, so this happens to me a lot. Like, I'll try to do projects, or I'll be, there's a project that needs to be done, but I'm like, I'm not equipped for this. I don't have what I need to do this well, and so I need to get something, some tool, some kind of training, uh, something to get me ready for this. Sometimes we think about the call to be a witness to Jesus uh, in this way. It's like, well, I, I'm not equipped for that. I don't know how to do that. I don't have what I need to go and do that. But Jesus says that we do. So what does he say in verse 8? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I'm not sending you out alone. I'm not sending you out ill-equipped for this task that is ahead of you. The power, the equipping that you need to do the work of God comes from God. Right? His, his presence, his power within you, the Holy Spirit filling you and working through you. And so, yes, we need to know our Bibles. And think through, why do we believe what we believe? And how would we explain that? And, and try to be prepared to, to give an answer and talk through those sorts of things. But, but none of that replaces our dependency on the Holy Spirit and the power and presence of God in our lives to do the work that he's called us to do. And as the book of Acts unfolds, we see the Holy Spirit fall on the believers. We see them empowered with boldness to proclaim the gospel and share the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, sometimes we hear this, and we're not always very familiar with the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? We could talk about God the Father and sing about it. We could talk about Jesus and his work on the cross, but the Holy Spirit, that gets a little, little mysterious or a little uncomfortable, kind of like less known a person of the Trinity for us. And so I want to talk a little bit about a right understanding of the Holy Spirit. First, we see that the Holy Spirit in Scripture is not presented as a force. This isn't like Star Wars. This isn't like an impersonal energy that you're supposed to harness and somehow funnel into your life. The Holy Spirit is a person, a he, not an it. Okay, the third person of the Trinity, where we worship one God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're distinct persons. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus the Son. The Holy Spirit is not God the Father. And yet we worship one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfectly unified as one God. If we look to the New Testament, we see Jesus 
explaining to his disciples the role of the Holy Spirit in the book of John, especially. He says, we're going to send a, a helper to you. It's like, I've been with you guys for a little while. I know after I leave, you're going to need some help. So we're sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. He will dwell within you, Jesus says. He will lead you into truth. He will convict you of sin and convict the world of sin. And actually in John 16, verse 7, he says this kind of mind-blowing claim. He says, it's actually better for you to, if I go away and send the Holy Spirit. He says, it's better for you if I leave and send the Holy Spirit. Now, I think if most of us had to choose between Jesus beside us and the Holy Spirit inside of us, we would pick Jesus. So Jesus in flesh and blood, like right here standing next to me, like there's nowhere we wouldn't go. Like Jesus, you're right here, let's, let's go do this. But Jesus is saying, actually, it's better if I go away and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. That's better for you, for the people of God, for the world. That's crazy. That's not something that we're used to, to seeing. And it's also important that we don't misunderstand that the Holy Spirit is a gift that all believers in Jesus experience and enjoy and have in their lives. Sometimes what we do with the Holy Spirit is we create kind of a two-tier Christianity. Where there's like the basic Christians and then there's like the super-powered Christians, like the second, next level Christians. If you're really holy and obedient and spiritual enough, then you're going to reach that level, and then you're the one who has the Holy Spirit. We think about it like Star Wars, not Star Wars, sorry, not Star Wars. I said that earlier. Um, no, we think about it like Starbucks. Anyone remember when the Starbucks reward system was two-tiered? Anybody? It was like a green level rewards, and then if you were addicted to caffeine enough, you reached gold level, and you were a gold card member, and I know what you're thinking, and the answer is yes, I was a gold card member. But sometimes we think that's the Holy Spirit. That's how God works. Like, you're a basic, uh, you know, green-level Christian, but then if you spiritual enough, if you do enough, holy enough, then you receive the Holy Spirit, and you're like a higher-class Christian. But that's not the way the Bible presents it. All believers have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Ephesians chapter 1 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you, church, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? It said, when you heard the gospel and believed. That's when you were sealed with the Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit became part of your life. So it's not some later blessing. It's not something only super-Christians enjoy. It's for all who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is present. And Star Wars actually, or Star Wars, Starbucks actually changed their reward system. And now there's only one level. You know, there's just a gold level. They wanted to be more biblical. So they're like, we're going to do it this way. It's true. No, that's not why they did it. But they did do it that way now, and it is um, more in line. There you go. So a lot more could be said about the Holy Spirit. Trust me, we could do a whole sermon series on the Holy Spirit, how he works, uh, his presence in your life, what that means. We don't have time to cover all of that here. I just wanted to point out simply from Acts 1, 8, that God's Spirit, his power, 
his presence is in you as a believer to empower you to boldly share the gospel and to be a witness of Jesus Christ in the world, living out this mission that he has given his church. And this is so important to realize because I, I talk with a number of people as a pastor who want to share their faith, who want to talk to people and do it the right way, talking to people about Jesus. So like, man, I want to talk with my family or my friends or co-workers about Jesus. I want to learn how to share that well. I want to know what good questions I can ask, how to listen well. I want to think through that situation thoughtfully. And so we'll, we'll talk about it. And there are some general principles that I'll usually share. And usually in general, it's better to share than not to share. Right? I usually err on the side of sharing if we had to choose. Uh, but often what I'll tell people is that I don't know exactly how you need to respond in each situation. Because right? you're going to find yourselves in all kinds of situations with all kinds of people coming from all kinds of different backgrounds one-on-one -on -one or groups, family gatherings, at work, different settings. There, there's not like a, a script that applies to every situation. And so what I usually say is you need to listen to the Holy Spirit and trust that God is with you. God's given you power to be his witness out in the world, and so trust that God's with you in that situation. And you need to, to learn to listen to his voice. Say, all right, Lord. This is getting crazy. What do I say? What do I not say? Lord, like, listen for that prompting. Is it time to open my mouth? Is it time to, to listen with patience? You know, let, no, let that go. Let that go. Let's, we'll circle back to that later. Let's just, no, don't. You know, like, you, you need to learn to listen to do that. And I feel like I'm constantly in the process of learning to hear God's voice in that way. God, what do you want me to say? God, what do you want me to ask? So I think we all need to start to kind of hone our listening our discernment of God's voice in those moments. So usually my counsel to people is not follow some prescribed script, but in the moment, trust the Holy Spirit and how he wants to use you and speak through you and let God direct you. It's not always easy. Sometimes it feels kind of clunky. Make a lot of mistakes and look back afterwards and like, that didn't go well, but trusting that God's going to use it. God's going to teach us, use us, grow us for that task. And so, as we wrap up this month of looking at our fourth commitment to go, we remember that we don't go alone, but we're filled and empowered by God's Spirit for the work that He has for us. And as we wrap up, I just want to encourage you to think about today, I think we've done this before, but I want you to think about again how you got here this morning. And I don't mean like who drove the car and what route you took in the streets and the neighborhoods and how you got here uh, logistically, but really thinking about how you came to the place you are today spiritually. If you're a follower of Jesus, how did you get there? What led to uh, those commitments that you have now? Likely, as you think about that, there are people that come to mind. There are names and faces of people that God used in your life. Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a coworker, maybe it was a neighbor, maybe it was a parent. Your parents modeled for you what it meant to follow Jesus. But there was someone along the way that said, hey, I know this Jesus, and he changed my life. And I want you to know about him too. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for someone like that. Right? God uses people to reach people. 
God uses us to be his witnesses in the world. So I just want you to think about that. And it's my hope that years from now, years from now, think about it, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, maybe you'll be dead and gone at that point. But years from now, think about if we're sitting in a room like this and a pastor were to ask that question, how did you get here today? Who was it that God used in your life? I hope that in a room full of people, some of your names would come up. Some people say, you know what? Joe, talk to me. You know what? Steve, talk to me. You know what? Maggie and Dean, talk to me. Paul, talk to me. Alex, talk to me. Joan, talk to me. They loved me. They told me about Jesus. They invited me to see for myself if this was legit. And I'm so glad I looked into it. God empowers us by his spirit. He calls us to go, but we don't go alone. Let's pray. Well, God, we love you and we thank you for your word. Again, it challenges us, it convicts us, it encourages us, it comforts us. And so, Lord, we've seen from your word that you do call us to be your witnesses in the world, to the ends of the earth, that people might see you and know you, that we are to be tools in your hands. Lord, I pray that you would give us great boldness and power by your spirit to share about you, even if it's scary, even if it's uncomfortable to obey you in those places. Lord, I pray also you would give us a spirit of humility, kindness, gentleness, grace, and patience with people. That even if people don't agree with us or don't want anything to do with you, that they'll say, you know what? Those Christians, they, they love me. They want good for me. They're loving me, even if they don't agree. So Lord, help us to be those kind of people. Jesus, help us to be like you in this world. Pray that you'd be glorified through us and use us to go into our world and engage the needs of the world with the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.